As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So if you're anything like me, the first thing you want to do once this whole COVID ordeal is over, if it's ever over, is to go on a plane and go on a nice long holiday. At this point, it could really be anywhere doing anything, so long as it's not in my two-bedroom apartment here in Sydney, I don't mind. But this proverbial light at the end of the tunnel might be more distant for most of us than we realise. This is not only because of how long restrictions will take to ease, and goodness me, we are not speculating about that anymore, but more so because of how expensive everything will be when things get back to normal. 40% of all US dollars in existence have been printed within the last 15 months. And while there are various reasons as to why we haven't seen inflation because of this yet, it is foolish to believe that this, alongside a host of other factors, is not going to make living it up and celebrating the end of COVID a very expensive proposition. Perhaps nowhere is this going to be more apparent than in the airline industry. So we will cross territorial borders into Wendover-occupied content and explore the economic factors that will define this industry for the foreseeable future. So. In order to make an informed prediction about your upcoming holiday plans, you have to understand a few things. What are the new pressures pushing prices upwards? What are the new pressures pushing prices downwards? And how will all of this impact the way that companies operate in this highly competitive market? So the lesson to be learned from the airline industry is really a masterclass in inflation. There are all manner of forces impacting the prices that we will be charged for the services of these providers in the future, but perhaps it's best to start off with a pinch of optimism and look at the factors that will be driving prices downwards. There are two main forces that impact prices, and by extension inflation. They are supply and demand. Surprise, surprise. When demand increases, that means that there are more people that are willing and able to buy a particular good or service. This in turn means that given a set supply of goods, prices will increase. If a house goes to auction with more bidders, it is going to attract a higher price. If a restaurant sells out its tables every night, the management will raise prices to increase their profits. And if everyone wants that new gaming console or graphics card, they will sell out quickly, only to be flipped by scalpers for, you guessed it, a higher price. Grrr. The actual mechanics of these price increases can be different for different products, but by one means or another, the inevitable impact of increased demand is increased prices. Now, if this happens to one or two different products, we see it as an effective marketing strategy. But if this happens to a broad selection of products, like let's say those included in the consumer price index, then we call this inflation. Or more specifically, we call it demand pull inflation. That is, supply has remained the same, but because more people are willing and able to buy stuff, they have pulled the prices of goods up with them. Now, 
increased demand, increasing prices probably shouldn't be anything too mind-blowing to the average viewer of an economics channel, but it is still very interesting as it applies to airlines. Studies conducted by the CAPA Centre of Aviation have suggested that business travel will fall by as much as 60% even in the years after coronavirus is no longer an immediate threat. There are a few factors pushing down this demand, but the big ones are declining corporate revenues, more cost-conscious business procedures, and a move to working remotely online. Most companies around the world are struggling, and sending executives off on trips in highly lucrative first and business class cabins while simultaneously making employees redundant is not a great look overall, especially when face-to-face -face interactions have become less of a requirement when doing business. A host of companies have announced that all of their employees will now be flying in economy class, which is terrible for airlines. Business travellers only account for around 12% of passengers by volume, but make up 75% of airline profits because they, or rather their companies, book these more lucrative tickets. Now you might think to yourself, well that actually sounds pretty good. Less demand from businesses mean we will get a reversal of this demand pull inflation that we explored earlier, right? meaning that tickets will become less expensive for regular travellers, the kind that just want to go on a nice holiday. Well, this seems sensible, but unfortunately the reality is that this incredibly complex market doesn't work exactly the way that this little model might suggest. In fact, we will all pay the price of an empty sky. You might think an economy class airline ticket and a business class airline ticket are effectively the same product. They are both a fast and safe way to cover long distances, one is just a more comfortable way of doing so. This is important because when assessing the market price of a good or service, economists will always look at the price of alternative products. For example, if Toyota lowers the price of the Camry by 50%, Honda might be forced to do the same thing with the Civic to remain competitive. Yeah, that's right, we stole Wendover's airplanes and Real Life Law's Camrys in one video. You better watch out, business casual. We're going to start talking about rich old dead guys next. Anyway, it follows that if the price of a business class seat falls due to a drop in demand, then so too should the cheaper alternatives in the economy. The problem with this is that these are not alternative products at all. And in fact, prices falling in the premium seats might actually push up the price of more affordable seats. Sounds completely counterintuitive, but think of it like this. Most major airlines, especially those that cover international routes, basically exist to serve business class passengers. Us plebs, crammed into regular seats, are just extras along for the ride to fill out space on the types of planes that are needed to make these long distance journeys. Now, while there are some very wealthy people that can afford to pay for business and first class seats for their own leisure travel, the majority of these seats have typically been filled by, well, business passengers. Go figure. If the demand for business travel drops as severely as the research indicates, airlines will no longer be able to rely on the cash cow at the front of the plane to subsidise cheaper tickets at the back. So average consumers should expect to start paying a lot more. Now I know what you're going to say. Oh, Mr Economics Man, what about budget carriers like Ryanair and EasyJet? They don't have business classes to subsidise their economy seating, so what gives? Well, four things here. One, they have hidden fees and charges to subsidise their tickets. Two, they don't operate out of large and expensive international airports in metropolitan areas, which does help to save a lot of costs, albeit at an inconvenience to their passengers. Three, they have started offering business class seats after realising how profitable it is. And four, they don't cover long haul international routes, instead preferring to operate short flights exclusively within high population density areas like Europe and North America. 
If you look at the price per mile flown of an economy seat on a Ryanair flight and compare it to the price per mile of a long-haul economy seat even on a premium airline like Qantas, you will see that the economics still favour the planes housing the big spenders in business class. Now, maybe you still have a glimmer of hope left at this point and say, well, all of this means I can finally spring for a business class ticket. Since economy seats are going to be more expensive and premium seats are going to be cheaper, why not, right? Well, don't start drinking your pre-takeoff champagne just yet, because so far we have based all of these projections off the demand side of the equation. In reality, the biggest hit to average consumers in the post-pandemic world is going to come from the grounded fleets. One thing that a lot of people don't realise when they board a plane from their favourite airline is that there is a good chance that plane is a rental. There are huge organisations like General Electric's Capital Aviation Services, or GCAS, which we explored in our video on Ireland, that rent out aircraft to airlines all over the world. There are several critical advantages to renting an aircraft instead of purchasing one. For starters, it gives smaller airlines the bulk purchasing power of a company like GCAS, which operates the largest airline fleet in the world. Even for larger airlines, renting can be preferable to purchasing because there are tax advantages to having an ongoing leasing expense. It also means that they can operate more modern aircraft and they are not tied down to a hugely expensive piece of depreciating capital. There are also operational advantages even amongst the large government-backed airlines. The CEO of the government-run Air India once said in an interview that if he wants to purchase a new plane, he has to get permission from the board of the airline, the finance ministry and the prime minister's office, which kind of makes sense. These planes can be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. This is a serious expenditure commitment for any government, so it stands to reason that there should be some oversight. But on the other hand, if Air India was to lease a plane, he could sign off on the deals himself, given that most of these contracts only last five years and are ongoing business expenses rather than a massive upfront capital outlay. What this all means is that as demand for air travel falls, airlines from all over the world can also lower the supply of routes by simply ending these leases. Choosing not to renew an aircraft lease is a much easier decision than choosing to scrap or sell an aircraft that the airline company owns. Of course, that doesn't mean that this isn't a factor as well. Airlines worldwide are also choosing to scrap their planes for all of the same reasons we explored in our video on why shipping companies are scrapping their ships. The overall impact of this is that supply of airlines and by extension airline tickets will fall, which will put an upwards pressure on price all other things being equal. This contraction of supply causes what is known as cost push inflation. Basically, if there is less stuff available in an economy, but the same amount of consumer demand for that stuff, the only people who are going to get it are the people that are willing to pay top dollar for it. Cost push inflation is generally considered the bad type of inflation. That's because it's not a sign of participants in an economy growing wealthier and having more disposable income, but rather it's a sign that not enough goods and services can be produced. This means those same individuals will need to pay a larger share of their income for what they deem to be essentials. This could be toilet paper, graphics cards, or even electricity to heat their homes. Paying too much for something because you have to beat out others to get access to it is not a sign of a prosperous economy. Okay, I have snuck my lesson about inflation into this video, so mission accomplished. But now you're probably going to ask, how is this all going to apply to airlines? If demand falls and supply falls at the same time, shouldn't everything be perfectly balanced with prices remaining the same? Well, no. Unfortunately not. 
Even if these two forces did fall in perfect unison to maintain a stable price equilibrium, this assumption would be ignoring the most important line in all of these basic models, all other things being equal. This is a very helpful assumption for economists just looking to address the impacts of demand and supply changes, but this is the real world. Unfortunately things are a bit more complicated. A smaller market will inevitably be more expensive, either because of increased overheads per passenger, reduction in economies of scale, less competition, or some combination of all of these things. Take airports for example. They make a majority of their revenue by charging airlines a fee to use their runways, taxiways and terminals. If fewer airplanes are coming in and out of the airport, then their revenue will shrink. This will mean that they will either have to go out of business or raise their prices to cover their fixed overheads like building maintenance, air traffic control or even interest on their debts. This increased price to use the airports will get passed along to consumers as higher ticket prices. The same is true for all of the cost centres in this very cost sensitive industry. This is of course accelerating the impact of the drop in competition that we are seeing already around the world. Given the severe restrictions put on travel in 2020 and now into 2021, most airlines have drastically pulled back on routes that they will cover to the point where they are really only servicing their own home cities and a select group of international airports that still have enough customers to justify a flight. This means that there are simply no competing airlines on most routes, and the planes that are flying are charging upwards of 10 times their regular price on even the most basic seats, partially because they have to, given all the reasons we saw above, and partly because, well, they are a business. If they have the opportunity to eke out a bit of profit, they're going to take it, especially during such uncertain times. They also know that they can do this because, as we have seen, the supply of airline tickets can be altered more easily than most people might expect, where the demand for airline tickets is relatively inelastic. If you are a business that needs to send an executive overseas to close a deal, you're going to pay for that airline ticket whether it's $1200 or $12,000. The same is still true for leisure travellers. Airlines will start to focus on fewer, higher paying clients until such a time that their margins make sense to expand down market once again. All the same, the people that are wealthy enough or desperate enough to spend $7,000 on a plane ticket are simply not reactive to price. So needless to say, the return to normalcy is going to be a slow, painful process and for the foreseeable future, air travel may once again become the domain of the wealthy. The world is constantly changing and transforming. Cut through some of the noise with What's New with Wired, a podcast that goes in-depth on the latest news in technology and culture. Their award-winning journalism will help you make sense of what's happening in the world. Listen to What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts. That's What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts.